Jonah chapter 1, as we continue in our series, Jesus is Better. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. As I read them, you follow along. If you would, please, uh, I'll read them out loud and you read them silently. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, in verse 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonas, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent, a, sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the side of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, and they said, every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thy, thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and... I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which, made, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea had wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to be here this evening, and I do pray that you would take the time that we have and that you would use it. I ask, Father, that I be pure and clean before you. I ask, Father, that you will give me the strength physically. Uh, uh, you know what I have to deal with there, and Father, I pray that you give me the strength emotionally and spiritually and, and mentally to be able to do what you've called me to do. And then, Father, I pray that you would bless these, your people. I pray that you would encourage their hearts in the things of you. And I pray that they would see Jesus Christ very clearly. We ask you for this. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Jesus, the Better Missionary. Jesus, the Better Missionary. We see in this passage of Scripture how Jesus is the better missionary. And we are looking at all throughout Scripture how you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. And really how Jesus is better. And that's what our theme is throughout this whole year. 
You remember that commercial on TV? I think it was a credit card commercial. And you would see that it would come up. You'd have these people and they'd be on a vacation or you'd have these uh, family members and there'd be a great relationship or whatever the case may be. And this, at the end of this uh, credit card commercial, it would say something, something and priceless. You know, everything was priceless. And that's one thing for a credit card commercial to be able to try and get people to use their credit card because you can be able to do things in life that are priceless and connect with people that, and have relationships with people that are priceless. But I want you to think about this. Because a soul is immortal, it is priceless. Because a soul is immortal, it is priceless. And so many times we are a lot like Jonah and we only see people from the outside and we don't see them for being priceless. Jonah here, we find that Jesus is better than Jonah because Jesus took on the wrath of the storm for all sinners. And we see how the unwillingness of Jonah is, is revealed throughout this portion of Scripture and his unwilling to share, if you will, the gospel or to go to be able to preach the gospel uh, to those who do, quote-unquote, do not deserve it, this salvation. And I mentioned to you this morning, and we'll just go briefly through this, that God gave a call to Jonah. First, in 2 Kings, we found, well, in the book of 2 Kings, we found that he was a popular prophet because what he prophesied, it came true. But then we found that there was a particular request that when God gave a call, it was to a particular people, and these people were called the Ninevites, and he hated them. He didn't just dislike them, he hated them. There was an utmost prejudice for these people. If they would have died and went to hell, he would have been a very happy camper. He didn't want them to come to Christ. He didn't want anything to do with them. The Assyrians and the people of Nineveh, which was the capital of Syria underneath Sennacherib, they were one of the great enemies of the nation of Israel. He hated them. And God gave him a particular request to be able to go to the people of Nineveh. And then he made a profound decision. The profound decision was that he didn't argue with God. So many times, you know what we do? We argue with God, don't we? We really do. We try and convince God of our, of our thought process, and this is the way it should be. Jonah, quote, the preacher, the man of God, he didn't argue with God. He just directly disobeyed God. There was no argument. There was no back and forth. There was nothing. God said, go this way. Jonah went that way. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm going to Tarshish. We see that God gave a call. We see, well, how is Jesus better than Jonah in that? Well, Jesus is better than Jonah because Jonah didn't do the will of the Father right off. But Jesus always always did the will of the Father. Does not the Bible tell us that Jesus said, I've come not to do my own will, but to the will of him that sent me. That's exactly what he did. And then we see that not only is Jesus better than Jonah because he does the will of the Father, but secondly, we saw that God sends a calamity. God sends a calamity. Why is this? He uses the storm because first we saw that he was after his servant. He was after his servant. The same God that calms the storm is the same God that will send the storm. And sometimes he sends the storm to get our attention. And we see that God used the storm in the life of Jonah this morning. And I asked you at the end of the service here, what were you like? Are you more like Jesus or are you more like Jonah? See, all of us are influencing people for Christ one of two ways. 
in one of two directions. We're either influencing people towards uh, a faith in Christ and eternal glory and joy, or we are influencing people to reject Christ and toward eternal judgment. Jonah, to act like Jonah, is to influence people towards rejecting Christ and eternal judgment. To act like Jesus, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, is to act in, uh, to, to encourage people towards faith in Christ and eternal hope and glory. So Jesus is better than Jonah, we saw, first, because he does the will of the Father. Secondly, because he takes the storm for all sinners. But I want you to see some new th here tonight. Take a look. Number three, God exposes a character flaw. God exposes a character flaw. Let's take a look at verses 7 through 10, if you will, please. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for what call, for, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and, what, uh, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, which, which hath made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. We see God exposes a character flaw. You know what's happening? If you're taking notes, you want to fill this in. God is getting to the bottom of the issue. At this point, the crew was desperate. Their life was, was uh, quickly, as they were looking at it, coming to a close, and they wanted to find out why this was happening. And they do something that they only really did once in the New Testament, but they used to do it many times in the Old Testament, and what it's called is cast lots. And when they cast at lots, many times the objects and the shapes were unknown, but it was a material used to determine divine will. Often in the Near, in, in the near East, uh, in the, the ancient times, people, especially priests, what they would do was they would, they, when they were having a, a tough time making a difficult decision, they would cast lots on the ground and then, or, or draw them from a receptacle to be able to see what God's will would be. The Bible tells us, I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 33. This is exactly what they did with Jonah. They were trying to figure out why has this evil come upon us and so they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. God used that to show the men where the problem was. God was getting to the bottom of the issue. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. That's how the Lord would give direction in difficult circumstances. You say, well, why don't we do that today? Because the Bible tells us that we have a more sure word of prophecy. We've got the completed word of God. We don't need to cast lots. They didn't have a completed word of God. There were certain things that they did to be able to determine God's will. You look in the New Testament, what would they use? They would use sign and wonders to what? To authenticate the will of God. To make sure that people knew that, hey, this is exactly what God was saying. And God is authenticating this by these signs and wonders. But for us, as what we have the completed word of God, and therefore, what do we do when we have a hard decision to make? Well, what do we do whenever we have a decision to make? We ought to be going to the word of God. That's where I should have got amens. Yeah. Thank you, Declan. Thank you, Declan. I appreciate that. I'm glad you're here tonight, buddy. <laughs> 
That's, we, always, we always should go to the Word of God to be able to find out what decision we should make. So many times we rely upon our own wisdom, but does not the Bible tell us, lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths? Sometimes what seems like an open door might be Satan just trying to get you into a trap. Well, it seems like an open door. Just because it's an open door doesn't mean that you always have to walk through it. There was an open door for um, me to come to the open Bible a whole lot sooner than I did. But I didn't. Before I came to open Bible, there were two other times that open Bible called me and said, would you please pray and consider this and, and those, and I'm sorry, I just don't feel led to come. I'm sorry, I just don't feel led to come. Then the third time, they said, this time, will you please pray about it? And I said, okay, if you really want me to. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, that, what, what are you saying? Just because the door is open, we need to make sure that we are consulting the word of God to know uh, to what we should do. Just because we've got, uh, I'm not saying that we need to ignore common sense, but sometimes uh, God overrules common sense and says, no, this is not what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And God here is exposing a character flaw, and he used it to be, he used these lots to be able to show these men exactly where the problem was. See, in this instant, the finger of God was pointing directly at Jonah. And Jonah, and Jonah in verse 8, if you take a look there, the, the Bible, we see that Jonah's on trial. Then said they unto him, man, these people, these, these sailors just start a rapid fire like a machine gun, these questions. Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and of what people art thou? Man, they didn't even let Jonah get a word in edgewise, man. They were like, you better hurry up and tell us. We're getting ready to lose our life. Jonah was on trial here, and God's finger was pointing at him, and they wanted some answers. He didn't even have a chance to be able to give him an answer right away. These sailors wanted to know what Jonah did to, cut, to call such divine chastisement. Now what we're finding is God's closing in on Jonah. And he's not going to let Jonah rest in a sin. Listen, listen folks, one of the greatest things in a Christian's life is conviction of sin. You say, I'm never convicted of sin. That's a major problem. You know, you can't be saved without conviction of sin. The only way that you can get saved is you've got to see that you are a sinner and you've sinned against God. And God's not going to let Jonah rest in a sin. Not only do we see that God's exposing a character flaw by getting to the bottom of the issue, we see that Jonah's walk and talk. Take a look at verse 9, if you will. Let her be. Jonah's walk, Jonah's talk and walk, I should say. Jonah's talk and walk. Verse 9, and he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which had made the sea and the dry land. Jonah right here, you know what he does? He gives a clear testimony. It's unbelievable of who he was and, and about the God that he had served. The sailors were, were at, at this point, they were in such a state, they were, go, they were about to call on their gods to find out how to calm the storm, the, the, get the solution to the storm, but Jonah lets them know, he says, wait a second, I serve the creator God. I serve the God who is in control of all things. 
I, I serve the God who made it all, the, the sea where they were and the dry land where they want it to be. You know what I find from this? That the world needs, the world needs a, to hear a clear testimony from everybody who claims to know the name of Christ. We need to have a clear testimony to those folks. Yes, creation has a voice. The Bible tells us that. You can look in creation and you can see that there is a God in it, and it clearly speaks of God. But a godly life has a voice as well. A, a person that's walking with God has a voice as well. And there is to be clear evidence that there has been divine grace in that individual's life. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 10, if you will, please. Romans chapter 10. See, if there's not a, a clear testimony, let me ask you a question. How can somebody who's carrying the guilt of sin know that God's mercy is available to them through faith alone in Jesus Christ if there's not a clear-cut testimony? You know, folks, if, we're, if, we, are, if we are just like the world, why are they going to want what we have? I mean, if we do everything like the world, if we act like the world, we talk like the world, we go to all the different places. And I'm not here, you know, I'm not here to give you a list of stuff, all the do's and don'ts. The simple fact of the matter is, if you, if, if you want a preacher to give you a list of do's and don'ts, well, pastor, tell me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Number one, that list is going to be forever growing because the world's getting worse and worse. Number two, if you're saved, you have the same Holy Spirit inside of you as I've got inside of me. And you say, well, maybe that person's not convicted and they shouldn't be doing that. Well, as they grow in Christ, they'll get convicted of those things if they're growing in Christ. If it's against the word of God, they will get convicted of those things and they'll change. Last time I checked, it's not my job to be the Holy Spirit. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. He's got enough to work on me. I don't need to work on anybody else. All I'm here, I'm just the paper boy, the delivery boy, the milk boy. I'm just turning it out. You've got to take it and apply it, and God's got to do the work in your heart and your life. I can't get you to change. I can manipulate you. I can guilt-ridden you, but I can't convict you. And you know what? Manipulation and guilt-ridden, that's only going to last for a little bit, and then people are going to go back to their own ways. But let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit truly convicts you of something and he really does a work in your heart and your life, you'll never, ever want to go back to where you were before. You say, how do you know that? Because he's done it in mine. There are certain things that, nope. You can never tempt me with again. God convicted me of it. I, I'm not going to be involved in that. See, in the world needs... Christians that have a clear-cut testimony. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, Romans 10, 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You know what? In some senses, all of us ought to be preachers with our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we see God's exposing a character flaw in Jonah by getting to the bottom of the issue here with his lots, and then by Jonah's talk versus his walk, we'll see a little bit more here. But God is, take a look here and let her see the sailor's reaction, verse 10. Take a look at verse 10. Then, the, then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Once these men heard that Jonah served the creator God and was running from them, they were in horror. You know what they basically said? 
They looked at Jonah. They looked at the preacher now who was running from God. And they looked at him and said, how could you do that? What were you thinking? You know, they, they were being more of a conviction to, to uh, they, they were convicting the preacher more than the preacher could try and convict them of their sin and show them. They were like, these were unsaved men saying, how could you run from the creator God? I remember one time when I was going through, um, when I was getting the melanoma uh, cut out of my shoulder. And <laughs> this, this doctor that I went to, he was obviously unsaved. Now I'm telling on myself now. And just by his language, I knew that he was not a Christian. You say, what do you mean? Christians have a certain kind of language. And uh, he said, are you okay? I said, yeah. He said to me, do you want a Valium? <laughs> I said, no, I'm fine. I don't know. I guess I must have looked really tense. I said, no, I'm, I'm fine. He goes, what do you do? I said, and I was embarrassed, to be honest with you, because he sensed that I was fearful. I said, I'm a preacher. He looked at me and said, well, don't you believe in God? <laughs> I almost feel like Jonah, you know? This is exactly the way Jonah must have. I said, yes. He said, then you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> All right, we're going to have an invitation now. <laughs> I went out, my dad was the one who took me to the doctors when he had to cut this out, and I went out and told my dad, and he just looked at me and smiled, and he said, he's right, you know. I said, I know. That's exactly the way these sailors reacted. They were like, how could you run from such a God? This is where the talk of Jonah and the walk of Jonah collided. There was a credibility gap. You ever hear people say, all Christians are are a bunch of hypocrites? You ever hear people say that, or Christians are hypocrites? You want to know what they're saying? There is a credibility gap. When you go to a doctor, do you want them to be credible? You go to a lawyer, do you want them to be credible? Or if you have a plumber in your home, do you want them to be credible? If you, you have uh, uh, any type of vendor working on your home or whatever, or you, you go to a restaurant, you want that restaurant to be credible? You don't want to come away with E. coli. I mean, it's very interesting how we expect us as Christians so many times. We expect everyone else around us to be credible, and we want them to be credible. But wait a second. You know what the world needs? The world needs a bunch of Christians that are going to be credible. That their walk and their talk match up. You say, well, I'm a businessman, and I got I to gotta work in the business world. I'm a, business, I'm a businesswoman. I got to fight for my own and, and work in the business world. Don't you think God knew that when he told us about this plan of salvation and about how Christians ought to live? The way you act in business should not be determined by the world in the way that they act. The way you act in business ought to be determined by what the Word of God has to say. Don't let there be a, 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 a credibility gap because that's exactly what we find in the life of Jonah, that there was a total credibility gap. He was saying one thing, but he was living another. These sailors couldn't believe how Jonah behaved in such a way. Jonah had a verbal testimony, but he did not have much supporting evidence. 
See, as believers, friends, listen, as believers, we're not just to give evidence to the world about who Christ is. Listen, we're just not to give evidence to the world about who Christ is. We are to be the evidence. We are to be the evidence. So what about you? Do you profess to be saved? To serve and worship the God of the universe? You know, he's a God of holiness. Then there ought to be purity in our words, our thoughts, our deeds, our motives. He's a God of power, so then we ought to depend upon him daily in faith. He's a God of love, so then we ought to show compassion and love to the lost people around us. Is there a gap so large between what you say and what you live that your character as a Christian is in question? Let me ask you, what's the world's reaction when they find out that you are a Christian? Is it more like the sailors? Or would it be that somebody would say, man, I knew something was different about you because you just don't act, talk, think, respond the way everybody else does. See, God exposed the character flaw in the life of Jonah. You say, how is Jesus better than Jonah in that? Well, Jesus is better than Jonah because he does the will of the Father. Jesus is better than Jonah because he takes the storm for all sinners. Jesus is better than Jonah because you want to know why? He's perfect in his character. You know the one thing about Jesus? There was never, ever, when it was 33 and a half years upon the face of the earth, there was never a gap in his credibility. What did, what did all the, the leaders of the day say about Jesus when he was on trial? I, I can't find any fault in this man. You know what I'm saying? There's no credibility gap. There's no credibility gap in this man. I find no fault in him. Wouldn't it be wonderful for folks to be able to say, you know what? That guy or that girl, they're not perfect. But I tell you what, they live what they believe. They live what they believe. They stand up for what's right. They act like what a Christian should be. You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it to you again. You say, well, how should a Christian act? Just ask an unsaved person, they'll tell you. An unsaved person knows how a Christian should act many times better than many Christians. They'll tell you, well, you shouldn't be lying. You shouldn't be stealing. You shouldn't be running around. You shouldn't be out doing this and that and the other thing. But you know what I find in, in, in churches across America today? There's not much difference between the world and the church. Man, that's sad. Man, I'm not saying that we need to be stuck back in the 1950s. I'm thankful for technology and those type of things. And that's a wonderful thing. We ought to use it. But the simple fact of the matter is, this world needs to see Jesus in us. There's been enough people, enough preachers, because of a credibility gap, I'll say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. That's what Christianity is. I don't want anything to do with it. But lastly here, number four, we see God delivers the crew, verses 11 through 17. God delivers the crew. 
In verse 11 and 12, we see that the crew, letter A, wants direction. Verses 11 and 12, they say, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. The sailors knew that they needed direction quickly. And they had called upon their gods and nothing had happened. As a matter of fact, the storm was still raging They knew that the storm was something supernatural. And now they know that it was because of Jonah that they were going through this storm. And they asked, they say, how are we going to get this to stop, Jonah? What what do we got to do? Jonah doesn't hesitate. He says, look, just throw me overboard. And basically what Jonah was saying, he was saying, listen, He told them, the only hope of your quote-unquote salvation was to throw him overboard for him to die. But the problem was, if they were to do that, they would be implicated in his death. You know what? The same is true for us concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We're implicated, if you will, in his death. See, our life depends upon his death. And this is exactly what it meant for the sailors concerning Jonah. They wanted direction, but when Jonah told them direction, I've got to die in order for your life to be saved, they didn't want to be implicated in the death. They didn't didn't want to, to have somebody say, hey, you were the one who killed Jonah. You know what? That's exactly, if we were there when Christ died, we would have been the ones that would have said, crucify him. But not only do we see that the crew wants direction, the crew looks for another way in verse 13. Verse 13 says, what do they do? They try and row against the storm. It's almost here in this passage where the storm actually gets greater. The answer was simple. Just throw me over and you'll be saved. Let me die and you will be saved. But they wanted to do it another way. They were doing everything they could to save themselves and Jonah. But they couldn't. And you know what? As we know, man can't save himself. All the tactics of men that they've tried to be able to save themselves, they cannot. All the religions, all the good deeds, all the experts, and all the power of man is totally futile in calming the wrath of God against sin. Man can't save himself. And it comes down to this. These men, they're facing the wrath of God here. Death appears certain to them. And all their best efforts to save themselves were doomed. Their single remaining hope was what? In throwing Jonah overboard, letting Jonah die. If he dies, they live. So God's delivering the crew. They want direction. The crew looks for another way, but let her see what happens. The crew asks for forgiveness. The crew asks for forgiveness. Take a look at verse 14, if you will. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not up for us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. These hardened sailors committed themselves to prayer. This time, it's not to the pagan idols. It wasn't to their gods. This time, they cried out to the God of Jonah, the God who made the land and sea. And they're asking the Lord, they're saying, Lord, don't blame us, please don't blame us for uh, 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 for casting Jonah overboard. They understood that they've been fighting against God and they can't win against God. 
How do you know that? It said, for thou hast done what thou please, Lord. Listen, folks, whether it's trying to get to heaven through your own merit or whether it's trying to live your life on your own after you're saved, you will never win when you try to fight against God. Never. It's an impossibility. God wins every time. And when we fight against God and trying to do things our own way, we end up in a whole lot of trouble. These are what these men were doing. Then they said, Lord, I realize that we can't fight against you any longer. So the crew, they basically ask forgiveness. And then, letter D, they act in faith. They act in faith. They throw Jonah overboard. Now there's no going back. They were not only, now listen, they, you say, how are they acting in faith? Because they were not only casting Jonah into the deep, but they were casting themselves upon the mercy of God. And once they threw Jonah overboard, guess what happened? The sea was instantly calm when Jonah went into the water. They had placed their faith in what the man of God had told them to do, and God heard their prayer. And then they seek God. The crew seeks God in verse 16. Take a look there, if you will. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. What I find interesting, the sea is now calm, but the fear of the sailors were at its highest. Why is that? It's not because of the storm, but it's because of the God of the storm. The sailors are no longer, listen, they're no longer seeking something from God. They are seeking God himself. You know, and there's a lesson here to be learned. That so many times we seek something from God. Like God is this, this dispenser of, uh, of, of, of goodness to us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask God for good things. The scripture tells us this. But you know, that's a secondary type of Christianity. That, that's, like, that's like base level Christianity. It's like this. Many times what ki kids will ask when they're little, they will ask something from their parents because they know that their parents can give it to them, you know? Oh, can you? Or, or if mom and dad won't give it to them, who gives it to them? <laughs> yeah, you know. If you got kids and, and, and the grandparents are around, if, and so it's not that they necessarily want to be around grandmom or grandpa when they're little, but they know that they can get stuff from grandmom and grandpa. You know, that's baseline relationship, isn't it? But I remember when I was a, a, a young man, I guess, when I was out of college and I was here, and sometimes my dad's office used to be right in there when he pastored here. And when I was little, I was just like every other kid, you know, just mom and dad, they can give me this. Yeah, I love mom and dad, but they can give me this stuff. But as you grow older and you grow to love somebody, you just want them for them. And I remember one time specifically sitting in that office before service, and sometimes I just sit in there, and I sit with my dad, and I just watch him. Just sit there and stare at him. I remember one time he looked up at me and he said, son, what do you need? I said, nothing, dad. I just want to be with you. You know, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be for us with the Lord Jesus. 
See, it's not that we can't go to God and ask him, man, we, we serve the risen king and we can ask him for everything that we need. But you know what? It's not that we just get things from God that, that should have us just love him. But the simple fact of the matter is we should just want to be with God, just to be with God. God, I just want to be with you. I, I just want to seek you. I just want to know you. And it's very interesting that these these, these heathen sailors, these unsaved sailors, now they come, if you will, to a faith in the living God. And they're like, I just, I just need God. I just want God. And you know when you find when you just want God? When he strips everything else away from you. When you have nothing else. When no words will comfort you. When nobody can help you. When you are totally stuck and everything is gone. And you know that the only one that is there to be able to calm your soul is God Almighty. And you're like, God, I just need you. I just want you. I just need your presence here. You're not asking for anything except for just him. And these would-be sailors who ought to be being taught by the preacher are teaching the preacher about what it means to seek God. See, it really seems that this is nothing less than a true conversion. They had forsook their idols during the storm and now sought the face of Jehovah who calmed the storm. You say, how is Jesus better than Jonah? How is Jesus the better missionary? Jesus, he always does the will of the Father. Jesus takes the storm for all sinners. Jesus is perfect in his character. And Jesus delivers all who call upon him as Savior. This evening, you can rest in that. You can rest in that. You can rest in the fact that everything that God allows to come into your life is not out of God's will for you. You can rest in the fact that Jesus has taken the storm for you. So if he's taken the ultimate storm for you, any storm that comes into your life, he's there with you. You can rest in the fact that Jesus is perfect in his character. Listen, if I were to say to you, God is good all the time, do you believe that? Do you? If God's good all the time, then he cannot be good and ungood at the same time. So you can rest in the fact that God is consistent, that Jesus is consistent in his character. You say, but pastor, I don't understand. This is difficult. It's hard. I know that. But remember, what is he trying to do? He's trying to conform you into the image of his son. See, so you can rest in the fact that Jesus is perfect in his character, and you can rest in the fact that Jesus delivers all of those who call upon him as Savior. That if you've called upon him as Savior, you can rest in that. And you can rest in the fact that those that you share the gospel with, that if they call upon Jesus as Savior, that they're saved as well. Let me ask you this evening, would you be more like Jonah or would you be more like Jesus? Are you resting in God, or are you fighting God? See, too many times when we're placed in a situation where we don't want to be, 
We don't submit easily. Our flesh bows up. And we want things our way. Just remember, Jonah, who probably had the greatest revival, well, not revival, but evangelistic crusade in all of history, there was a whole city converted at one time. If Jonah, the great prophet, God used to be able to see a whole city converted at one time, if he cannot fight against God and win, what makes you think that we can fight against God and win? See, the whole point of this is that God was trying to teach Jonah and he's trying to teach us that we are to rest in what he has asked us to do and he will take care of the rest. Let me ask you, are you resting or are you resisting? You're one of two. Are you resting or are you resisting? See, we find that Jonah ends up going. So, Pastor, Jonah ends up going. Yeah, he does. But Jonah still doesn't get it. Even after God used him in a mighty way, Jonah still didn't get it. He was still resisting God. So how do you know that? Just read chapter 4 and you'll find out. When he was more upset of a tree dying, his shade tree dying, than 120,000 plus people dying and going to hell. He wasn't resting. He was resisting. You're in either one of two places. One of those two, one, one, one place or the other, I should say. I'm sorry. God wants us to rest, not resist.